Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio for 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app from uh, TuneIn to iTunes to, uh, well, we're on everything. Uh, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me, as always, is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, lots of stuff going on in the news uh, this week, and let's talk about money first. Well, hey, um, oh, before before we get into that, have you booked your ticket for Endgame yet? No, I'm not into that. Oh, come on! There's something I bought my about, ticket like weeks ago. Oh uh, no, I I don't know what it is. I'm not. But you know, I do want to see Sh- Shazam, and I just haven't had a chance. It's been out a couple of weeks. Well, apparently, it is good. Uh, apparently, it is good. It, All right. Never got any of the superhero movies, not even Batman. Uh, oh, right. Okay. You're way behind that. I won't, I won't even bother to quiz you I, on the, the... I wouldn't describe it as being behind. Thank you very much. However, uh, Star Wars and all that stuff, I'm in there. All right. So I'm not a completely, you know, science fiction, uh, um, 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 after, whatever. Hater. Okay. Well, we've one of those to look forward to in December and the first trailer for that I is out. Oh, it'll be good. And there's a couple of good uh, little sci-fi movies that are popping up on uh, Netflix as well, which is kind of keep me going. However. Oh, yes. I, I recommend, by the way, Other Life. Uh, if you're into uh, your cyberpunk stuff, I, I watched it there during the weekend. It's, it's perfectly serviceable uh, Australian cyberpunk. Okay. I liked it. Excellent. All right. Uh, now let's talk about money. Yeah. Investors into technology firm, I'm going to call them a technology firm, Tesla, who of course make the uh, um, electric cars. And then there's Facebook. So we've got bad news and good news. Let's start with uh, Tesla. Yeah, bad Well, yeah, bad news for Tesla. How how much of a long view are you going to take on Tesla, Dusty? I, at what point do you go, okay, they're a busted flush? Oh, I think many more years to come because I, I know I've, I've got other information that um, Elon Musk came out with this week. And this here's where you go with your long view. Elon Musk is saying that regulators in cities are about to license um, autonomous taxi services, i.e. taxis like Uber with no drivers. Uh, and well, that's the market ah, he's going that for. That is interesting that you that you raised Uber there because you would imagine the gig economy would be first in line to be uh, affected by any sort of... Um, uh, yeah, because all the people who are getting the gigs are out of a job. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like the, the whole point of the gig economy is that it's a few extra quid in your hand. What happens when, when that vanishes, when that entire tier of employment vanishes? You're going to have this really interesting dichotomy between the regulated uh, human taxi drivers and regulated uh, autonomous uh, cars. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays up, plays out in in the actual market. And I do think that's bad news for for the likes of Uber. I think we're going to see the the rapid decline of Uber drivers uh, in favour of I don't know maybe people who own autonomous Uber cars basically just kick back. And uh, just see how their car is doing, or maybe they these things get owned by uh, by the county councils. Uh, or or as well. maybe it'll be a case of Uber are the ones who are supplying the service, and Tesla are the ones supplying the cars. Oh, that's a good one. So you see, long view, I think, with any of these companies is the thing that you have to take. I think what Tesla are doing is excellent. 
I think the cars look absolutely amazing um, and I would absolutely love to have a Tesla. But okay. it, the time is just not right. And I think because of that, they're having financial trouble. What's the financial trouble they're having? Yeah, well, at the moment, uh, for this quarter, if you're an investor, you're down the equivalent of, I think it, it's two ninety uh, a share. You're in negative $2.90 a share based on what you bought in for a Tesla. It was expected, some sort of a loss was expected, and they reckoned, okay, maybe minus $1.30 a, a share, but it is much worse than uh, than expected. Um, but it's it's not all bad news, I guess. I mean, they're $11.5 billion in debt, but they've got $2.2 billion in cash, and they, they say that, look, we've, we've, we're catching up to the demand on our Model 3 sales. We reckon we can ship about... 400,000 of these things this year, uh, which is much better than, than last year in terms of output. So look, we know we've had these supply chain problems. We're on top of it. We're going to get on top of our supply. We're going to whittle down the, um, the uh, debt issue. And do you know what? If, if they're, if we're getting into autonomous Uber, uh, Tesla ter- territory, yeah, I, I can, I exactly. can see, I can see it happening. Shares are kind of a little bit like uh, teenagers. You know, they're up and down and they never perform as, as well as you expect them to. Oh, oh, harsh, harsh. But, but if you hang in there, usually by their 30s, they turn into actual <laughs> human beings. All right. <laughs> I, I, I met a guy on a plane the, uh, the other day, a uh, grandfather, and he was travelling uh, quite a distance. Uh, he was an English guy and he was coming back in, into Ireland from another third country. And I kind of, why are you going to Ireland? And he goes, oh, I'm going to Kildare to, uh, to see grandchildren. And I went, oh, right, OK. And they've moved to Ireland. He goes, yeah, yeah. He says, um, what was he? He says, grandchildren, he said, are God's reward for not killing your teenagers. <laughs> that's a good one and I went there's a wise man there's a wise man so listen Tesla kind of yeah the money's down but I think there's a there's a future potentially there what about Facebook okay right well would you take a similar long term view on Facebook in terms of profitability if you were to buy into Facebook now in five years time is that investment going to pay off for you Facebook what kind of a future do they have you see Tesla has got a lot of unknowns ahead of it and it could do very well or it could do terribly Facebook not the same Facebook is such an established brand uh, half the planet is on it at the moment where is there for Facebook to go and the shares are very very expensive at the moment so uh, if I had money no I would not be putting it into Facebook okay and th- here's a, a few reasons um, Yes and no. Okay. Um, yes, in that one of their um, key metrics is still uh, rate of uh, new signups. That's still one of their key metrics, and they're still expanding in the Far East. I mean, Facebook has such a uh, a position in the culture over here that you forget it's not the same everywhere. Um, and Facebook is expanding into new markets still. So in the short term, I reckon, yeah, it's a pretty good bet. However. When you start looking at the way regulators are finally starting to clamp down on Facebook because they realise that Facebook can eat massive fines and can be a driver for implementing better practices across all social networks, that I think we're going to see a more modestly profitable Facebook. I think Facebook will have to become a a really responsible actor to Mm. stop the outflux of cash because it's inevitable that we're going to see more uh, newer social networks appear. I think we're going to see much more mobility between social networks. I mean, you know, you, you would think, oh, Facebook is great. Then Snapchat 
shows up and everyone's like, oh, okay, Snapchat, let's let's go there. And now you, you have a situation where younger people are on Snapchat uh, and older people are on Facebook. So, you know, Facebook is going to lose that new uh, users, that new user base, um, uh, how do you say, um, KPI. That's mm. going to vanish. They're gonna, one, they're going to lose out of people. They're going to run out of people. Uh, two, it's just not going to hold the same appeal to different demographics uh, as it once did. That's what I'm saying. It's not. It's not the right. It's past the rising star, and it's very much a, an established brand at the moment. And where is it going to go? And where is the innovation going to be? Um, and, and I take it. And when you're talking about the money and stuff like that, they, they're making so much that even if they get massive fines, they just go, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, they're looking down the barrel of potentially a five five a billion dollar fine in the states right now from the FTC. That's just the states alone. Mm. And you know what? They're just kicking that money off to the side going, yeah, you know, we made 15 billion this quarter. There's probably a five billion dollar fine. Maybe it'll come down to three on appeal. So, so let's so just kick some of the cash into, over there. To put that into human terms. So if you're driving at 32 kilometers an hour along the keys in Dublin, you instantly get a fine uh, of 80 euro for speeding. Yeah. However, uh, if you were Facebook, uh, that fine would be f- two euro. It would feel like two yeah, euro. It would and feel like go, two yeah, euro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, I'll, I'll eat it. It's I'll, like when, we, when we were talking to Max Schrems last year, mm. you know, we said, you know, our, you know, if a data breach is more profitable than sanction, will these companies just eat the sanction? And he said, yeah, of course. Of course they're going to do that. Human nature, human nature. Now, yeah. uh, Facebook has gone through a lot of trust issues uh, lately and another company facing uh, trust issues are Huawei. And Huawei, yeah. Now, Would you buy a wireless network from these people? Yeah, I th- this is very interesting because they seem to have been singled out by Donald Trump and the United States administration as being untrustworthy and not to be involved in any 5G networks anywhere in the world, but particularly in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, uh, the UK, and I think Germany. Um, but the UK have turned around now and they said, yes, they will use Huawei for their 5G network, but for non-core things. So they're going to allow <clears throat> Huawei to make the antennas, for instance, which is just a piece of metal and there's no electronics in it as such. Yeah, and well, we are, we're going to see slightly more um, Huawei hardware. I think I, I imagine is relying on them quite heavily for rolling out their 5G network. But you, you've got this, I don't know, is it a manufactured panic? Is this Chinese panic? And we're, we're going to start seeing, what would you say? It's Sino, Sino panic? I don't know. I don't know um, if it's... A, no, that's what I'm saying. Because if it was Sino panic, well, then it would be every Japanese company. And it's not. It's specifically Huawei. Every Chinese company, Dusty. Let's, let's be geographically correct. Um, yeah, it does seem to be so. But Huawei is such a massive conglomerate, you know? It's basically like Apple going to... China and China going, ho ho, what do you Apple guys do? Let's take it easy here. And, you know, you're going to play by our rules. Um, is Huawei doing going through the same thing? Are they dealing with this manufactured crisis um, fueled by xenophobia and you know, a certain US administration? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's very interesting when you look in the world where, you know, a massive corporation like Huawei is being singled out for one particular thing, for spying. They're the spying company. Uh, And I think it's very interesting where you've got a a number of people who are able to say, all right, let's engineer it so that people will vote the UK out of the European Union. I think that's very interesting how that can happen. And they use social media to be uh, be able to do it. I just... 
think the amount of control that a small amount of people could wield is sometimes a little bit frightening. But is it, I think this boils down, well, I'm not sure it boils down to, but it raises an interesting question of which is more damaging? Is it the hardware you you use to deliver a message or manipulate a message or is it the message itself? Because you see the likes of Twitter, um, you know, being Twitter and Facebook being quite brazenly manipulated by bad actors. Uh, But the argument is still, oh, hang on, there's this potentially dangerous hardware coming into our country. We should be more worried about that. Like, I, I think, think that's I, quite an antiquated view. I think uh, the messenger and the method that the message is delivered on are both equally culpable. Ooh, okay. The, that that's a very interesting argument for lots of other different contexts in technology. Well, here's but. here's an interesting argument that's going on in our house at the moment because you know tech dude here is kind of like you know oh yeah great do you know what I got to go with the uh, the OK Google I got Alexa. <laughs> My mm. wife is going absolutely insane. She says she can't stand having those things in the house. They're listening to you all the time. And I kind of turn around, and I believe quite correctly, because I am correct 99% of the time, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit more. And your mobile phone has been listening to you for the last 10 years at least. And your mobile phone goes everywhere with you, not just the living room. Yeah. So that's why, because I had exactly the same thing with I don't like the thought of Google listing all the time for a keyword or Alexa or Siri or whatever it happens to be. And then somebody said that to me. They went, yeah, but your phone's been doing that for the last 10 years. And I went, you're so right. You are so right. Yeah, well, and who make, who's making the modem within the phone? Samsung? Um, oh, oh, <laughs> then you've got all that <laughs> lark and all that kind of things. I just, you know, I don't, I'm not so paranoid to think that somebody's following me specifically, but what I don't like is that everything that I do can be monitored and made a note of. So, for example, when I was setting up some smart plugs for uh, the Amazon Alexa just to turn the light on and off, I mean, this is ridiculous technology, all right? You Mm. can't lean over and go click to turn on the lamp. You have to install something so that you can sit in the same chair and go, Alexa, turn on the light. But in order to register that smart plug, I had to register my uh, email address and a password on the website. And I also had to register my location. It would not allow me to finish without registering my location. And I kind of did after thinking about it because it's probably going to get the location from my Wi-Fi anyway. But I just don't like the fact that some server somewhere knows when I turn off on and off the lights. I know it's a stupid thing to be worried about. But why? Why is that necessary? Yeah, yeah. And there, there is this sort of idea of the herd immunity um, where everybody has all their information up all mm-hmm. the time. So mm-hmm. what's the point in trying to look for anything? No, but you see, this is it. And this is where metadata is so crucial that if you want to be able to find somebody or find something in particular, bump, you can go in and look for it. So I think that's a little bit worrying. But then again, uh, as you say, there is the herd mentality. We're going that way. Are you going to be the sole person to fight it? Yeah, mm. yeah. Anyway, none of this is a problem for Dick Barnes. Tell me who Dick Barnes is and what unfortunately happened to him this week. 
Um, yeah, Dick Barnes, not, maybe not one of the high profile tech pioneers like, of, of course, uh, a Jobs or a Gates or an Alan Turing. But uh, he did help create the Harwell Decatron, which is the world's oldest working digital computer. It's still it's still working. It was um, originally put together in 1957, uh, was renovated in 2012 and it was still going. Um, and it doesn't it's not that it does anything particularly remarkable. I mean, the thing is like two and a half tons and all it does is um, mul- simple multiplication. Right. And even then it does s- simple multiplication, but really slowly. Just th- its primary benefit um, for its for its time was that it could do multiplication for very, very long periods. So you could have, you know, this machine running for hours and hours, a couple of days even just doing multiplication, uh, which you couldn't really you know, you can't really do that to a to a human being. It's not it's not particularly nice. So he was one of the men behind uh, this computer, and he died um, on the eighth of April. So this is sort of a piece of information that's only just just fleshing out now. Um, and he was ninety eight. That's not a bad innings by any stretch. That that is a considerably good innings uh, to say the, say the least. One of the original pioneers who has uh, has left us. I wonder what he thought of computers or if he, if, he's, if he was even aware of the power of computers in the last 10 years because at that age sometimes you know dementia might kick in or they're not aware or whatever like you know I often wondered that myself I would love to I would love to come back in 200 years time where you there would be some kind of recognition of society and how it is but to see how the technology has developed can you imagine yeah, well, I, I think the planet will have changed irreparably, let alone the tools that, that we use to, ne- to negotiate it. Well, if we're looking at the uh, protests that are going on around the world at the moment, the planet may not even be here. Anyway, that's another story. Um, finally, this week, um, t- instead of looking to the future, let's look to the past. Let's look to the past. This was something that was meant to happen uh, well, in 2017. Then there was massive uproar and Microsoft backed down. So this is basically Microsoft said, OK, MS Paint. Your time is done. You are you are right for the time, but it is no longer the nineties. That's it. The nineties. <laughs> it's no longer the eighties. Okay, okay. <laughs> Showing my age there, but um, yeah, it's it's time to go. You're drunk. Go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so Microsoft were, were ready finally to pull the plug, and it it emerged that there was still a user base out there that people still used MS Paint, albeit for very low level things, but it still had its uses. So Microsoft said, OK, look, yeah, OK, right, we'll hang on to it. It'll still be there in the latest uh, version of Windows 10, which is happening next month. Uh, but now it has emerged that Microsoft said, you know, they they haven't said we're getting rid of it, but they haven't said that they're keeping it either. I think the, the phrase that they used was it's being deprecated, which sort of sounds like we're keeping it in some form, but maybe not as a default update. So the, the, it potentially might mean, OK, you can still get MS Paint, but you'll have to download it separately or from somewhere else that it's not going to be part of um, an official update as such. I don't know. 
I'm not terribly worried about it, are you? No, 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 I'm not. But it is interesting that people do like to keep their old tech as well as having all the new stuff. Anyways, yeah, that's an eventful week of news. Uh, Niall, as always, thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. We all know there are loads of satellites in orbit doing everything from sending us the latest Game of Thrones to making sure that we don't get lost on our GPS. These satellites are also collecting all kinds of data that we just don't know what to do with yet. However, there is an Irish event happening next month inviting ideas on what to do with these satellites and it's called the Copernicus Hackathon taking place on May 10th to 12th at NUI in Galway. Dr Jenny Hannafin is a Senior Earth Observation Scientist at the Irish Centre for High-End Computing at NUI Galway and she told Nal Kitson all about it. I guess we're in a, a pretty interesting stage in our relationship with space at the moment because we're we're getting to this sort of climate for want of a better term where we have this confluence of political will but also technological capability at at ground level if you will for exploring space would that be a fair sort of context to to put towards you uh, yeah, certainly. So, you know, the idea of space, even the space exploration has really been democratized, I suppose you could say, you know, with the advent of cheap launchers like SpaceX. And what that's, uh, that's allowing um, much cheaper satellite launches. So we're seeing a huge surge in satellite launches and satellite data coming down, um, which is, is just kicking off all kinds of downstream applications in the use of those data for uh, information about the planet and about our activities on the planet. And so, uh, just to, sorry, just to cut across you there, but as we see more private interest uh, appear in um, space exploration, is this really changing our mindsets uh, as well, that space is becoming or is going to be seen more as in an international market as opposed to a, a, a frontier to be explored at, you know, government or military level? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for example, we see the European Commission putting a huge investment into um, the Earth observation sector. So they're currently funding a, a very large operational constellation of satellites for Earth monitoring. Um, and the idea there is to create data, uh, which will then create downstream commercial services, essentially, for um, both public and private bodies. Uh, so there's, a, you know, there's an awful lot of political will out there and there's a lot more openness as well in terms of the data so all of the data collected by Europe for example is free and open which makes a huge difference as to you know how you can access it and apply it in different situations and this is this is where the the our center for high end computing um, comes comes to the fore really and, and really sort of um, sings for its supper I guess because when you when you look to see you know who is actually going to be participating um, from an Irish perspective to look at a centre that prides itself on solving uh, deep problems with an awful lot of data that sort of um, that connect isn't necessarily there uh, initially but it actually does make sense 
It does make sense. So the satellite data that we're getting these days is is increasing exponentially by the the month, <laughs> let alone by the year. So we're really, you know, we're in a um, a situation of not just big data but massive data. And in order to get information out of those data, you need clever analytics and you need processing power. Um, and you also need people who know what they're they're doing and and how the data works and um, so, yeah, it's that confluence that we're working at. So we're currently developing a national satellite data archive and we're, we have a direct line to the European Space Agency downloading all of their data around Ireland and the North Atlantic. And the idea is to put that in a system whereby users can easily access it. Um, and if they don't have the expertise to access it, they can get it through us. And when we're talking about the sort of data that you're using and, and processing, what exactly are we talking about here? Are we are we looking at, you know, the tides? Are we looking at the depletion of our natural resources? What exactly is being collected for us to work with? Oh, there's a huge, huge amount. So I guess I suppose maybe if I start with the basic satellite constellation. Um, there's a series of six satellites and each of those six uh, look at a different aspect of the Earth. So the first one is synthetic aperture radar and from that you can get ocean waves, you can get land subsidence, which can be used, for example, to look at peat bog recovery. Peat bog will gradually rise as it's re-wetting or if it's being cut for turf, it'll subside. So we can actually see that in satellite data from SAR. The second satellite is high-resolution imagery, so that's pretty much for land monitoring, for agriculture, forestry, um, and also in coastal areas. The third satellite is based on the oceans, so we're looking at sea surface height, which gives us currents and waves, uh, sea surface temperature, and also ocean colour, which tells us about the productivity of the oceans. Uh, Sentinels 4 and 5 focus on atmospheric chemistry, so we're monitoring air pollution, um, and how that changes. And then Sentinel-6 is looking at sea surface height again, but from more of a climate change perspective. So that's the type of satellite we use for looking at sea level rise and changes in sea level rise. And one of the quite interesting uh, things we were talking about uh, just before we came on air was how you can actually track what day of the week it is, more or less. Yeah, so we there's a paper published a couple of years ago which showed that uh, you can tell what day is the weekend <clears throat> in different countries. So by looking at atmospheric chemistry, looking at nitrogen dioxide, um, which is a, a byproduct of traffic fumes, essentially, um, you can see that the weekend happens. So in America, it's basically on a Sunday. In Europe, it happens on a Saturday and a Sunday because we don't work as much as the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> And then in Muslim countries, it happens on a Friday or a Saturday. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating the, the, the type of information you can, uh, you can get from satellite data by looking at it in different ways. Uh, and of course, you have your own perspective uh, coming from a, an academic um, uh, background, but there are plenty of other perspectives coming together uh, behind our national space strategy, which is uh, about to be released. So can you tell me a little bit about the process that has gone into putting together a strategy and I guess, why do we need one? 
Sure. So um, there is a space industry in Ireland. Not everybody is aware of that, um, but it is there and it's growing rapidly. And the um, Department of Business and Enterprise uh, started this consultation with all of the different actors in the space sector in Ireland, be they public or academic or industrial. Started off with a survey to see um, what's going on out there around the country. And then there was uh, a workshop held with all of the different actors whereby we sat around and discussed, you know, what's happening, what's the best way to encourage development in the area, um, what's the best use of Irish resources in the area. And, um, and I believe that report is going to be published fairly soon, so we're all looking forward to that. But it shows that there is um, political will at the national level as well to, to really support the sector and, um, and develop it up to the, the same standard as the European, uh, other European countries, because obviously countries like France, Germany and Italy would have decades of uh, development before us. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're rapidly coming up behind them. And I suppose this is where the value of events like the upcoming hackathon really comes uh, comes to the fore. So tell us a little bit about what's going to be happening in NUI Galway on the 10th to the 12th of May. Sure. So the Copernicus Hackathon is uh, sponsored by the European Commission, who uh, are funding the Copernicus program and the Sentinel satellite series is part of that program. Um, the only constraint in this hackathon is that you have to use Copernicus data. Um, and the idea is really to bring together people who um, are involved in Earth observation or GIS, Geographic Information Systems, with people from IT and also entrepreneurs <clears throat> to come up with new ideas for using the data, essentially. So um, during the weekend, there'll be the people who have registered will be put into teams, each with you know a different expert in each area. They will be expected to come up with some kind of an idea whereby they'll apply satellite data to a real-world problem. And some of our challenges include things like marine environment and security, uh, air quality, and digital agriculture. Uh, and at the end of the weekend, there will be prizes. <laughs> we have some cash prizes, which are sponsored by the OPW, Chagask, and the Icon Group. There is a prize of 30 days um, residency in the European Space Agency file app, which is really exciting place to do technical development of an idea uh, in a really high, uh, vibrant, uh, innovation-driven environment. And then there's also a prize to spend a year in the Copernicus Accelerator, which is basically a, a startup boot camp type of program. And that's designed to um, develop and encourage startups in the Earth observation sector. So the whole idea of the hackathon really is to bring people together who are interested in the area uh, so that they can network and come up with new ideas. But hopefully it will also um, develop some new commercial ideas that can then be uh, developed further after the event. And that was Dr. Jenny Hannafin, Senior Earth Observation Scientist at the Irish Centre for High-End Computing at NUI Galway, talking to Niall Kitson. That's almost it for our show this week. Uh, Niall is still with us. Just before we go, what's our one more thing uh, that's online that we couldn't get into the podcast this week? 
Yeah, your beloved Samsung is in trouble over the Galaxy Fold. That's as much as I can say. Oh, you get the lowdown on that and all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio and Externals. Next week, uh, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, from now, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.